Hello everyone, I'm Nate Truex and you're listening to the Crockcast Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the Crockcast Podcast. I'm your host Nate, and today I'm joined by Dr. Stan Trout, uh, Professor Emeritus of Arkansas State University, with uh, specialization in researching reptile and amphibian reproductive histology. Stan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Nate. Wish we were seeing each other right now, but uh, that's technology for you. Always frustrating. Yeah. So do you want us to uh, give us a little bit of uh, introduction about yourself? Tell us a little bit about how you first got into reptiles? Uh, into reptiles? Uh, you're asking me to go, long, go back a long way. Now, I, I uh, was born in St. Louis, moved out of St. Louis when I was seven to the Arkansas Ozark, and my parents bought a resort there, and right on the lake, Bullshells Lake. And it turns out that uh, the lake itself was down uh, during several years, my early uh, bringing up there, and along the shoreline uh, were collared lizards. And so as a kid, I would run down and chase collared lizards, and if any snakes were available, those too, but most, mostly collared lizards. So I um, moved on and uh, went to college at University of Arkansas, Fayetteville. And my major professor, uh, once I, I did my undergrad there, I got into grad school there. And my major professor uh, uh, suggested, he pointed at me, uh, I gave him some suggestions about animals. I'd like to work with, and I said a hellbender, and maybe a ground skink or something. Then I said collared lizard, and he pointed at me and said, "That's it." So that led me into the reproductive biology of collared lizards, and so that was basically my start in histology, where I published a couple of my papers out of my masters on uh, reproductive anatomy of Collared lizards. Um, from there, it just expanded into all the various herps. Uh, so I can give you more information. I want you to ask questions too. So yeah, uh, go ahead. So for uh, for people who don't know, could you give a brief description of what histology is? As a study of tissues. Uh, using a light microscope, and I have two light microscopes beside me right now, and about a um, hundred or so slide boxes, or more than that, actually a couple, couple hundred slide boxes around me of prepared microscope slides. So I was going to give you the grand tour of my lab, and here uh, I was able to move from Arkansas State with materials I had in my my lab there and created a lab in two garages here in um, Moralton. Histology allows you to examine tissues, not fine structure, but just looking a little closer up to a thousand X. And I have uh, painting dishes, I have uh, microtomes, I actually have an ultratome also to do very uh, thin sections. And so this 
has stayed with me my entire uh, academic career doing this type of work. Now, don't get me wrong, I do other stuff too. I do field work, and I, of course, published uh, Amphibians and Reptiles of Arkansas in 2004, um, first author on that book. And uh, we have a rough draft for a second edition of that book, uh, basically prepared right now, ready to be submitted to the U of A Press. So I do a lot of additional work outside the reproductive anatomy. But to get back to this, I uh, this topic, uh, I collect animals, I collected animals, I don't do that anymore, and prepare their, their gonads or their reproductive tract to uh, be studied with uh, a light microscope. Uh, when I was at Arkansas State, I was the director of their EM facility there, electron microscope facility. Had that job for uh, 20, 28 years or so there. So what I did was prepare a lot of tissue for examination, and then I was able to store it in uh, either wax, uh, paraffin, paraffin wax, or in uh, epoxy resin, and those tissues are still with me right now. And so I can decide on a particular organism to study. Right now it happens to be uh, siren netting eye. It's, the name has changed. The Western lesser siren is now the Western siren. So uh, sirens are very unique in m many ways. They, they don't possess hind limbs. Or girdles, and that's just one aspect. They have uh, gills throughout their lives, external gills. Uh, there are so many unique things about uh, sirens that it kept me occupied for about uh, three years now. But I took those those tissues of sirens that I collected when I was at Arkansas State over a twenty-year span and kept them, and then and working on those right now. So uh, the tissues are fascinating. They're just, they're new to science. The uh, stuff I'm doing now has no uh, precursor. precursor. There, there's no literature other than maybe some basic, <coughs> excuse me, comments by some authors uh, about their reproductive anatomy. But other than that, this is all brand new. Very interesting, very fascinating. Yeah, so uh, you mostly work with like native North American herbs or do you have any particular yeah. groups in general you like to work with? Well, I I'm, I work with uh, North American herbs. Uh, everything from lizards, snakes to frogs. Sirens. Salamanders. I mean, I, 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 I have used all of the various herb groups in my studies, <coughs> excuse me, I, uh, in my early work, uh, after the college lizards, I did some salamander work on cloacal anatomy and published a number of papers in Herpetologica, and that was in the, he was now, 70s, 80s, a long time ago. Um, yeah. Since then, I, I've branched out, I, I work with uh, the neurons and 
you know, turtles, a lot of turtle work. And if you go online, you'll see some of my turtle work uh, with alligator snapping turtles. And also, uh, I did a paper on uh, mud turtles not too many years ago. So uh, it's, it's the whole shebang. It's all the organisms that you would call herbs I have studied. Yeah. Okay. So I imagine since North America is uh, temperate, maybe a few extreme southern parts you could describe as semi-tropical, you see a lot of uh, variations in the tissue of uh, reproductive tissues in herbs. Is that true? Well, you can, yes. Uh, one must look at an organism and its range and say, well, it, it may start its uh, breeding season at a different time uh, as opposed say, from north uh, to south or south to north, whatever, uh, to see that there are genuine differences in an organism, you're probably not going to find that type of differentiation in tissues uh, at the species level. Now, you can compare species, and that's what I do. You're not going in one, one species, like, um, for example, the... Uh, prairie race runner to the west of the Mississippi, you have the eastern fixed line race runner to the east. Now that organism uh, was my organism for my dissertation. And I have used tissues from the lizards I collected for maybe about 10 years in studies that I've done. So, but to, to answer your question now, Finding variation in a particular species, uh, not really. Okay. Okay, so there isn't much change, uh, say, from winter to summer. Then. Well, yeah, there would be a seasonal variation in the uh, gonadal anatomy uh, due to, you know, changes in the reproductive cycle, and I have looked at that. Uh, I have not. Uh, Let's say I have not gone into sectioning uh, large ovarian follicles versus small ovarian follicles because there's really no no need to do that. Um, I look at testicular tissue and find changes in the spermatogenic or testicular cycle. Um, that that is interesting, and I, I'm published on that. So there, are, yeah, there is variation in the timing of the uh, gonadal activity. So you are correct there in saying there is variation that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of the changes you see in uh, this gonadal tissue uh, through, uh, with the different seasons and different uh, weather? Well, you, let's take, uh, we can take the college lizard, for example or in, actually any North American uh, lizard, you're going to have a seasonal change in the spermatogenic cycle. The production of sperm does not begin immediately when the animals come out of hibernation or rumination, but they have this period of time where they build up toward the release of sperm. So you can go in and look at the uh, 
the uh, spermatogenic uh, tissue, the uh, seminiferous tubules, and follow the stages uh, of uh, spermatocytogenesis, spermiogenesis, in um, a particular lizard. Um, that's going to change, yes. And so uh, we as uh, reproductive anatomists, biologists, have done a lot of that. That was some of the original work beginning in the uh, 50s and 60s. <clears throat> Much of that was done on many of the animals, lizards and snakes. I'm thinking of mainly right now. Uh, so that's, that's, that was approached. And so that research was hot for a long time. I got my uh, feet wet doing that, but uh, mostly things have changed. Approaches to uh, seasonal cycles have changed in, in, in the uh, approach that uh, students and colleagues are, are looking at uh, those organisms. They don't look at them histologically like uh, I did back in those days. Yeah. Uh just talking to people who breed uh, breed a lot of North American snakes, they talk about how it is important, especially with the males, to get them somewhat cooled down in order to really trigger a spermatogenesis in the spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are these <clears throat> the techniques to uh, that uh, herpetoculturists do in order to ensure that the uh, the males are ready to release sperm or. Uh, Females may be storing sperm, you know. We're talking about snakes now. And that is uh, that is certainly important in trying to uh, decide when to put these males and females together or let them go on their own uh, and they will work things out. And yeah. So with this uh, changing in tissues and, you know, uh, sparking spermatogenesis and all this sort of stuff, uh, are, is there like one individual key factor in triggering that or sort of like a, a plethora of different factors that trigger that? Like, say, is it like photo, just photo period that's the main triggering factor yeah. or is it like photo period and temperature or a variety of other things? Certainly that, those two are the primary, primary factors. Or okay. age of the animal, you know, young adult versus older adult. Uh, that's that's going to make a difference too. Yeah, uh, I found in the in for example the uh, prairie race runner that the older females will yoke up earlier and have two clutches at least, and the younger females from the old or from the later clutch of a, an older female when they mature they may have only one clutch so yeah your 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 body size the age of the animal is important in uh, evaluating the uh the cycling it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh i know a couple of people who've uh, kept crocodilians over the years and they always tell me that a female crocodilian, like her first clutch or her first few clutches, all have very low uh, fertility. But as she gets older, her uh, fertility increases each passing year. 
Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the, <clears throat> of course, what's affecting uh, crop American alligators, let's say, now is the uh, endocrine disruptors that we put in the water. And I, I know you know a lot about that in the work of uh, Lou Gillette down in Florida, where he found that the endo endocrine disruptors were feminizing the males. And uh, that, that's not been good. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, right now, I'm just thinking of uh, Alex Jones' quote when I hear about that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said ask. Yeah, so, uh, speaking of that, have you noticed a change over the years with, like, say, some sort of, like, pollutants or biological, uh, I guess pollutants would be the word, building up in... Uh, reptile tissues over the years from when you started versus where you are now? Well, you've got to remember to do this histology, you're looking at a small sample. And once you do that small sample with a particular organism, you're less apt to want to go back and, and work that hard just to see if there's something going on uh, that you may have, may have missed or could reinterpret, that's, that's hard work. And so that, that kind of work, there's only a handful of uh, reproductive histologists in the U.S. Uh, and to do this kind of work, it, it's time-consuming, it's laborious, it's, uh, you have to have the facilities to do it. So doing a, uh, a monitoring of change in uh, organ gonadal output or change in its uh, anatomy is very difficult unless you have something uh, set up already where you know like endocrine disruptors or some pollutant is involved. I found uh, four years ago or something like that that some um, southern leopard frogs, southern leopard frogs have been studied quite a bit, uh, as you might know, and happened to find a couple, and, and one in particular, whose lower limb, the tibia, had enlarged, and tibiofibula. The uh, fact that there was additional bone there led me to look at normal legs of leopard frogs and then this particular one that had these abnormalities. And so that was interesting. And, and there, of course, there's no way of knowing what caused it. But at least I reported that. Uh, the other place it was reported was in India, for example. So I didn't have a whole lot of literature to work on there. These things are can happen every once in a while. You'll find an unusual uh, anatomy. That yeah. Ab an abnormal anatomy that could have, who knows what the cause is. Yeah. 
So I'm uh, looking through some of your papers right now, and uh, you mentioned earlier uh, snapping turtles. Um, looking at morphology of, was it rask glands and snapping turtles? Yeah, rasky glands. Yeah, yeah, I've done uh, five papers on rasky glands starting in 2009, where uh, Mike Plummer and I did a, uh, the first really intensive study uh, in recent years. Uh, on, I say recent years, 2009, uh, on the uh, rescue plans. And I, I did a lot of uh, uh, anatomy. In other words, I, I had to discover where the glands were and followed their, their ducts. And, and that was a very, uh, very uh, interesting study. Interesting enough to lead me, uh, Mike and I did one other one on box turtles. And then I've done three others since then on snapping turtles, alligator snapping turtles, and then on one on the, uh, the mud turtle, Mississippi mud turtle. So yeah, those are the uh, musk glands, we call them the scent glands or whatever you wish to call them. The more recent name is simply named after the 1800s Histologist, uh, Rasky. Okay. And I was so you mentioned, you know, sometimes. Go, go ahead. I said I was going to show you uh, that, uh, uh, that particular. Yeah. You may have it in front of you, that particular study. So on the cover of the uh, uh, Journal of the Arkansas Academy for me. Uh, go ahead. What? I said on the cover of the Journal uh, of Dark ahead. Academy in 2001 uh, is a, a photograph taken from that paper. And it's in color. And you can get get all of these papers from the Arkansas Academy, uh, download the PDFs. They are in color. The plates are in color. Go ahead. You still with me? Hello? Yep. You back? You back? Uh, hey, can you hear? Hey, can you hear me now? Yes. Oh. I lost you for a while. Nate. Hello, can you hear me? Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. What happened there? We haven't. I don't know what that. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some some just particularly nasty cloud bouncing between the radio tower and us. Who knows? <laughs> okay, keep going. You're you, you're asking about rescue slams, and I'll answer anything you wish about those. Yeah. Yeah. So rescue slams. I heard you mention them called uh, scent glands and musk glands as well. Uh, so do you yeah. mind telling us? Uh, 
telling us what exactly what role these glands play in uh, a turtle's anatomy and life cycle? Well, that's the good question. We assume that these are uh, glands are releasing pheromones for a function with either it could it could be a number of things. It could be reproductive, it could be territorial. Uh, we don't know the precise function of these secretions. We know that in a uh, in all of these aquatic turtles that the uh, secretions are smelly, smelly to humans, foul, disgusting, whatever. And I, I mentioned uh, aquatic turtles. Now, box turtles can be aquatic. They do. They, you think of box turtles being mostly terrestrial, but they do venture into water. And it turns out that box turtles lo lose their lose their uh, Rasky's glands after a certain age, young. Yeah. Huh. No, no longer. Yeah, they, they, they are, they regress or disappear, whatever. But we, that's why Mike Plummer and I looked at the, the, the hatchling of two different species of box turtles, ornate and the three-toed in the very young animals, there we could see the uh, the glands. Yeah, it's interesting that they lose them so young. I wonder if it's just something tied to maybe uh, being a more aquatic lifestyle. Like, I don't know if Rasky's glands are found in like uh, tortoises, like gopher tortoises, or not. No, they are not. Huh, so it's they probably so it's probably something uh, to do with a more aquatic lifestyle then. Yeah, one would assume. We can't. We can only speculate, and, and of course, I don't want to speculate uh, on a topic I don't really have any background in, in, in knowing what these secretions, how they are perceived, how they are uh, utilized by the uh, males and females. Yeah. Well, I guess that heads off the, my next question, which I was going to ask uh, if they're found in any other groups of reptiles, but I guess they're only found in aquatic turtles then. That's where they're found. Yeah. Uh, well, sea turtles have. Uh, the, some of the first done on sea turtles, uh, Rasky's glands and sea turtles. Uh, but they're not found in uh, tortoises. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. So I guess we now know why uh, musk turtles are called musk turtles. Pretty much. Think bots. Are uh, are smelly, and 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 the fact is that uh, alligator snapping turtles are smelly too. And you can smell them when you go up into a creek to trap. When you trap, if you go, I think it's a 2015 paper in the journal, the Arkansas Academy of Science. I uh, published a 20-year study on alligator snapping turtles. And the fact that I was out in the, in, 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 you know, trapping them, not that consecutive 20 years, but uh, five years, then I was off for 10, and then another five, same population. Uh, 
uh, you can smell the uh, the odor of snappers when they're releasing releasing that from the from the glands. Yeah, smell, smell it in the creek. Interesting. Yes, uh, been a well-known stereotype in herpeticulture for years that aquatic turtles in general are just really smelly and really foul up water real quick. So I don't know if that's just purely uh, how much they poop or maybe there's uh, Rasky's glands also play a part in that as well. I'm going to guess that the, uh, the Rasky's glands are not functioning in that regard. Maybe under stress, the animals might release from those glands, but it's usually the uh, poop, as you say, uh, that's fouling the water. If you have them in enclosures where you can't filter the water or clean it continuously. Yeah. So uh, circling back to something we started off with, you mentioned you were doing uh, work with uh, sirens uh, tissue now. Yeah. You, you want to talk about that at all? Well, I think I could have shown you pictures, images to explain the story. I really had planned that behind me. I have all of the uh, plates I was going to show you, and that I'm gone now to do that. Uh, as I had mentioned, I. I put off studying, and well, maybe I didn't mention that. I collected these animals back in the 90s and early 2000s, saved the tissues, and some of the tissues I examined and realized I had no idea what was going on, so I put it off, as one might do. Uh, and I, just a couple, two years, three years ago, I decided I've got to go ahead and, and look at these tissues, and man, was I ever uh, astounded that we have a vertebrate, a salamander, that has testicular characteristics similar to higher vertebrates, and lower vertebrates. Huh. When, when you think of, when you think of a, let's take an average salamander, uh, maybe a spotted salamander, they have what is called cystic spermatogenesis. And not just cystic, uh, let me rephrase, cystic lobular spermatogenesis. If you go to a Higher vertebrates, reptiles, birds, and mammals, you have acystic tubular spermatogenesis. So there's a deep contrast between <coughs> fishes and amphibians and reptiles, birds, and mammals on how you look at uh, the, uh, the the testes. In other words, you have cysts in fishes and amphibians and tubules in reptiles, birds, and mammals. Okay. The siren is acystic, which is similar to higher vertebrates. Nothing like all the other salamanders, which are all cystic. No, no, not even close. They are also lobular, 
which is a characteristic of lower vertebrates, fishes and amphibians. So they have a characteristic there, but the, the production of sperm is totally, absolutely different. Absolutely different. If you move to higher vertebrates, where you have acystic, we have uh, seminiferous tubules that undergo spermatogenesis. The siren is also acystic, but it's not tubular, it's lobular. Huh. Now, with that stated, there are so many differences in what's going on uh, in the, uh, the uh, histology that someday there will be books citing my work. <laughs> they have to, because uh, thus far you have, in, in, uh, in all textbooks, you'll have cystic spermatogenesis in the lower vertebrates and acystic spermatogenesis in the higher vertebrates. Well, sirens are acystic, like higher, but lobular, like lower. There you go. And, okay. and that's just the, that's the beginning of the story. I just <laughs> that's only the beginning. Wow. Uh, I, I just yesterday put uh, two plates together. A plate is when you put images together into a figure. So it's called a plate or an image. That is just astounding. Astounding. And I, I and I state this. And how many papers have I published on this? Okay, I published one two years ago. And another one's coming out. It's in press, coming out in 2023. I'm submitting another one this spring. So that'll be a paper coming out in 2024. And I'm thinking about putting a second paper in that 2024 one, which is what I'm working on, which I just mentioned uh, right now as of yesterday. So it's, it's, it's so beyond remarkable that you, you don't know how to emphasize it. It's totally different from either, okay, let's let's take, for example, tubular spermatogenesis in uh, higher vertebrates. You have a basal membrane and then you have primary spermatogonia and then secondary spermatogonia. This is in layers now. Then primary spermatocytes and secondary spermatocytes, spermatids, and then sperm. That's going from the basal membrane out toward the lumen of the tubule. In, <clears throat> and in higher vertebrates, uh, Sertoli cells help feed those sperm. The sperm heads are embedded in Sertoli cells. These are called nurse cells. Totally different, absolutely totally different in sirens. They are acystic, but nothing, nothing like that. And so they're 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 in a an order of their own, and I've stated that before, as others have. They they need to be separated from salamanders because they are there are so many differences. Yeah, that they need to be they need to be in their own order. So that's that's my say about that. Yeah. So. 
Uh, can you go over the differences between uh, cystic and acystic uh, spermatogenesis? You have, let's take cystic. Well, in uh, the uh, lobules, the cysts have one stage of spermatogenesis. So, so in the testis, you see these cysts, these are circular uh, structures, okay? And in each of those, you have all primary spermatocytes. And then another cyst, all secondary spermatocytes. And then another cyst, all spermatids. And that's what cystic is all about. They go in those cysts, and, uh, and within those cysts, they mature and then are passed out to the lobule through a duct system. All right. So those are cysts of similar cells. If you go to acystic, higher vertebrates, I just described that. You have a tubule, and along the tubule's edge, margin, you have these all these stages side by side, back to back. You remember from your biology from college, maybe you didn't have it, maybe you did. But anyway, you you go from uh, the base, basement membrane where you have the spermatogonia all the way out to where you have sperm in the interior of the uh, tubule. Okay. In sirens, it's a cystic but it has it's nothing like higher vertebrates nothing it's nothing like lower vertebrates nothing it is so different that one one wonders why i took 20 years to study them uh, because i didn't know what i was looking at <laughs> primarily and i and i and at that time i had so many other things going on i i uh, didn't, I needed time to reflect and examine and then come to some conclusions. And they're, they're just amazing. Yeah. That's... Aaron, yeah. Now, I, I've also done pseudobranchus. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with pseudobranchus, which is the dwarf siren. And in 2017, I published a paper in Copia with several other authors. Uh, me being the senior author, where I studied the testes of the, the dwarf siren. And they are all, they, they are very similar, but not exactly like the, uh, the Western siren. But I published that. So there, there's a paper out there talking about acystic lobular spermatogenesis already. I published it, but it, but it, it is so, I, I didn't get to do a thorough job analysis of that because I had a limited number of animals to study. And when I looked at the sirens, it allowed me to go into more detail because I collected quite a few sirens in order to try to understand what was going on. And you can find that study in the Journal of the Arkansas Academy of Science. You, you may have seen it already. Uh, it's there a couple years ago. Okay. So, anyway, I could talk all day about sirens. Uh, okay. I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at their sperm now uh, using the electron microscope. So I'm looking at using the scanning electron microscope, which I had at Arkansas State, and the transmission 
electron microscope, which I also had at Arkansas State. So I have lots of images to work with there. Lots of them. Yeah. And they are also fascinating. So is there a sperm structure uh, as different from other salamanders as their testicular structure is? Absolutely. <laughs> so different. So amazingly different that uh, there will, people will be astounded. Scientists will be astounded by the differences. Astounded. Uh, for example, I gave you an example of the of the uh, nurse cells, the Sertoli cells, uh, where the sperm heads are embedded in the Sertoli cell uh, cytoplasm, and you can see that in any textbook. The sperm are embedded there. Nothing like that. There's nothing like that. The Sertoli cells are not even involved once you get to the spermatid level. The spermatids are out there by themselves inside the lumen. And nothing to do with these Sertoli cells anymore. Sertoli cells did their job early on. And so you have these cells, which are, are extraordinary. Uh, so you can, tell, you can tell I can talk about sirens all day. Uh, can't. Uh, I was hoping to show you these, but it's really a shame. The, uh, the, oh. the unusual nature of these cells. Yeah, uh, we'll tell you what. Uh, well, I do do the social media post uh, about this episode when I to announce this publication. If you want, I can also show some of the pictures of those as well. You can, of, of which one? Uh, when I make the social media post announcing oh. when this episode is published, if you want, I can also uh, show some of the pictures as well if you want. Yeah, you can do that. You can go online and, and, and capture it. You know, once those PDFs are out there, you can grab those and make make plates, you know, figures and whatever. You can show those. Yeah, the next paper will come out in in April. The next in this series, and it's uh, it's on spermiogenesis, and the spermiogenesis paper is just it's just a killer. I mean, it really is. It has. Spermatid, you know what a spermatid is? It's the stage before a mature sperm. If you go yeah. online, you look at the mature sperm, it's got a head, it's got a midpiece, and it's got a tail. All right. If you look at the siren sperm head, it has eight folds of the plasma membrane that go into the formation or involved with the formation of the biflagellate sperm tail, biflagellated sperm. This, you know, and they, they are unique. Biflagellation in the siren that are in the siren is, is unique. There are some neurons, a couple that have <coughs> two flagelli, but not entirely along the entire sperm length like it is in siren. And uh, I was able, I was fortunate to be able to, to describe those in my own words. And they are called pleated. 
it's a pleated plasma membrane. It's a membrane that has so many folds in it that have everything to do with the formation of the the flagelli, the uh, the two flagella. Yes. <laughs> Hard for me to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, that's they're, interesting. They're, they're, that... they're so fascinating. It's, it's hard to talk about. Yeah, going into this conversation, I didn't know there was a group of animals that had a uh, sperm with uh, two uh, flagella. Which one? Uh, the sirens. Okay, ask your question again. I didn't hear that. I was going to say, uh, before this conversation, I didn't even know there was a group of animals that had uh, yeah. sperm with two flagella. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and many people who don't talk about, listen to, study this type of stuff would not know that. That's okay. Uh, you know, I can list uh, half a dozen things about sirens that are different from Regular, we call them regular salamanders. Uh, typical salamander. I took the spotted salamander as an example. Sirens, female sirens have no spermatheca, a sperm storage gland. They don't have that. They don't have any glands in the pelvic region. Uh, the males, we're not certain about how they fertilize. I think they. Uh, Maybe by cloacal acquisition, maybe, and with females, we're not certain. Uh, males, they don't have plans. Uh, so cloacal glands. It's just, it's, it's, it's extraordinary stuff, what it is, for this particular animal. And so I was fortunate to be able to collect these and have the time now, opportunity to thoughtfully think about, that's redundant, I guess, be pensive about what I'm looking at. I, I have colleagues that I can share this with, and I have shared it with some and have presented it at a national meeting before in some regard. But what I'm doing now was not presented at a national meeting. Okay. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know it at that time. Years ago, I, 2015, 14, I may have published or uh, uh, presented it. Uh, ASIH, JMIH. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm also looking at anurans and looking at urine, urine urogenital anatomy. <laughs> Very interesting. I've looked at wood frogs. Uh, I'm looking at just published or put together a paper on Cajun chorus frogs. I've uh, put together a paper on crawfish frogs, which is going to be, it's in press, going to be published this spring. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing other organisms available to me but the siren is dominating right now yeah yeah i do want to get to some other uh organisms as well but 
I haven't had to, I haven't had a chance to talk about sirens yet on this show, so let's go ahead and keep talking about sirens. Well, you, you all you have to do is go to uh, Journal Arkansas Academy of Science, and I think it was uh, 2022 paper came out. I should know that, but I I have the paper in front of me, but it's a the draft of it. It's not the uh, Well, it's my draft. It's not the published PDF. Uh, and, and you can get a lot of information from that paper. Uh, but the next two papers that I'll publish will be, or actually three papers, are going to really be, really be something. <clears throat> well, it looks like I've lost my image of me and my and back to my email i guess we get tired of having me as an image there <laughs> that's too bad we couldn't have uh, linked up uh and maybe that's you know it's it's google meet you know my my computer downstairs here in my lab i have two computers down here that i work with the other one is not online but uh that that's the problem it was google meet versus uh zoom i guess and but i've zoomed before i think it's just what the uh, web browsers want to do is change to what they want you to have and they just go ahead and do it and you 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 don't have much of a choice. Would you all look into that Google Meet? Yeah. And see if you can get that also along with uh, with Zoom. So any other questions you might have? Uh, well, this uh, this podcast is called the Crocast Podcast, so I do have to feel obligated to ask about crocodilians at all if you've done any research with them. Well, I told you that I did do some uh, kidney work for my grad student who uh, got his PhD recently. And I guess it was Central University of Central Florida. He's now at the University of Missouri on a postdoc. Anyway, I did uh, a large number of kidneys uh, for him, and he was he was looking at uh, kidney tubules. And looking at variation in the young uh, alligators that he had, and I don't know whether they were treated or just exactly what they had done with them. All I did was do the histology; I didn't ask questions. So I did a good a uh, hundred of them, I guess. You basically they, did all. You basically did all the grunt work. <laughs> well, they had to get out in the field to get the animals, I guess. But Fair I, I didn't mind doing. I didn't mind doing that because uh, uh, Johnny had uh, was a very good, very excellent student, and uh, and I was willing to do that uh, to save him time, so he could look at other things more molecular related with the animal. So I did it. I said I would do it, so I did it, and uh, so that's. I, I started on the testicular anatomy and alligators a long time ago, 
but realized I didn't have enough tissue and I didn't have it prepped the way I wanted uh, in order to make it a meaningful study. So I just dropped it, let others do it. And others did it. <laughs> my my colleagues, uh, I've got two, one, two, three histo colleagues that are were were involved with that study years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you're um, calling. Oh, you are in what? What city are you in? I'm in Ohio. Yeah. What city? <laughs> It you you want to know it? It's just some little farm town in the middle of nowhere. Okay, there's a uh, a nowhere school up. <laughs> I say nowhere. Hold on. I get my book out here. I know where he. There's a little university in North. West. Name some of the smaller universities in Northwest Ohio. Here, uh, of Finley, Heidelberg. Hamnet, Finley, Finley. Okay, that's it. Where I have a colleague at Finley. Then I have a colleague at uh, University of Indianapolis, and I have a colleague at Southeast Missouri State. So those three individuals, I had a colleague that passed away four years ago. Uh, he was he was really the ramrod of about everything we were doing at that time. But those three individuals are histoherpetologists. If you're wanting to know the term that I apply to myself and to these others, histoherpetology, histoherpetologists. All right. Well, that gives you an idea. Anyway, uh, I, I don't have to give you the names of these individuals, but you could you could uh, pretty much find out by just looking in the histology of uh, just about any lizards. Or uh, let me give you one example. This will lead you. Here is a book I'm holding in my hand. And Reproductive Biology and Phylogeny of Lizards and Tuatara. Huh. Vol volume edited by three authors, and I'm the third author. Okay. You can just go online. You can pick that up. Yeah. And see who the people are. Okay. Uh, Reproductive Biology and Phylogeny of Lizards and and Tuatara, that's the name, that's the title. And this is dates back to 2000 and actually 2014. So this book came out. It's a compilation of a, a number of scientists, a good, good number of them. And let's see how many. I'm looking right now. I don't keep this on the top of my head. Uh, 17 papers. And that gives you an idea 
of some of the work that has been done. You yeah, there? Okay. Yeah, I'm still okay. here. Yeah. Well, so I, we, uh, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Well, I was going to ask about you. I, uh, I didn't pursue you online uh, other than maybe looking at your um, website for a minute. But I, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself so I can have a little bit of knowledge there. Uh, are you, uh, are you an avid herper? Are you a... I do a little herping on the side when I get a chance. Right now, weather isn't exactly the best for herping at the moment. <laughs> no. Unless you're going after salamanders in the creek. Uh, you are a herpticult. How many snakes do you keep? Uh, about a dozen at the moment, plus a juvenile rhino iguana. Nice. Well, let's see. That tells me a lot right there. Yeah, and... but I've also done some work with a couple of different reptile parks in the past. Uh, most notably, uh, Crocodile Encounter in Ankleton, Texas. Okay. And when I was in college, I was uh, working for Dr. Chris Carmichael at his Serpentarium. What university? Uh, Bob Jones University. Okay. Yep. Well, this gives me a little background, too. Uh, really, dis really, I'm disappointed I couldn't show you all these things because you would be uh, totally flabbergasted by the images. I had a bunch of images to show you because it had been easy for me to do. So when these papers come out, you can put this together and maybe have a better understanding yeah. of what this, me, this histoherpetologist does. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about, about sirens, but uh, are there any other groups that you've worked with that you would say is your uh, favorite you've worked with? Yeah, lizards. <laughs> uh, any particular lizards or like uh, eastern collars or? Uh... <clears throat> uh, well, probably X number of papers on college lizards. Uh, race runners, I probably published 20 papers on uh, six line race runners slash prairie race runners. Uh, those are my the, the most papers I've published on in those two animals. And I've got papers uh, on fence lizards and uh, skinks. Uh, I know you probably get uh, Herp Review and uh, look up my name there and see what I've published in the last few years there on various lizards. But uh, yeah, th th those those are my favorites, I guess you could call them. Yeah. Uh, are there any particular groups you haven't looked at that you want to look at? Uh, there's one animal I'd like to look at, and that's the uh, tuatara. But I I asked for tuatara from several museums. They either didn't have them or they can't give them out. 
and I asked uh, a research biologist from New Zealand, and she wouldn't let me have one. She could say I could come down there and do the work down there, but she wouldn't send me a 10 millimeter strip of tissue from one of the organisms. And I, I sort of, you know, I wish I had that because it would help me out in a major paper on uh, urogenital anatomy uh, in lizards. It would help me understand the information I have. But I've gotten tissue on urogenital anatomy for a large number of lizards, I think about 45 from various museums throughout the country. And I'm sitting on that right now. Among other, among other things I'm sitting on. All right. And uh, do you also uh, keep any herbs at home or do you? I, do have, your... two, I have two smallmouth salamanders. <laughs> solid oh, choice. Oh. Solid choice. I don't. No. I don't keep, um, I just don't keep the animals. I, I would love to have a snake and keep up with the snake, but I, I don't keep animals. I have two salamanders in an terrarium and they've been with me for about four or five years now. Give them, give them earthworms. They do fine. So I don't I don't keep live animals basically. I I don't kill animals anymore other than maybe one or two three a year. At one time, I was known as Doctor Death at ASU because everything I collected I saved into the museum, uh, which uh, kindly they named after me after I left. But. <clears throat> The fact is that I had to have tissue to study, and we had to know about distributions in Arkansas. And so the amphibians and reptiles of Arkansas 2004 would be something you might be interested in. I'm just looking at, go online, read about the book, see some of the images there. I don't know what, what they offer today. But... Uh, I don't kill, I don't deliberately kill anymore. Although I probably had something to do with killing 30,000, 25 to 30,000 animals and putting tags on them and putting them in a museum. So somebody else can study them other than me when I'm gone. Yeah. Uh, do you also do any uh, herping in your free time? I, my feet don't allow me to do it anymore. I, for years, hurt, <laughs> needless to say. And I reached a point where climbing over mountains, turning rocks, looking for animals, my feet just simply gave out. Uh, I, I blame, I say it, uh, foot neuropathy, it's not related to diabetes because I don't have that. But my my feet just started got to where I they hurt all the time. 
so I knew what the problem was. I still walk. I try to walk two miles a day. But uh, to go out and herp, I love to do it. But I am 75, and I'm reaching that point where you can't get out in the in the wild like you used to. It's that simple. And uh, so I accept that and uh, work in my lab here, where I have tons of work, tons of work to do. Yeah. Uh, have you mostly just... Dad... Go ahead. Have you mostly just herped in Arkansas, or have you uh, ever done it any dedicated herping trips? Well, to to go elsewhere, you need permits. And I've herped in uh, Texas and Oklahoma, Missouri. Well, throughout the southeast, uh, into Arizona a little bit. I mean, I I don't go deliberately because the permits required permits required today. Uh, but years ago, when the permits were not as important to state federal agencies, I watched it in New Mexico and Texas and. And for race runners go, I've collected in 20, 25 states. So that gives you an idea about where I've gotten race runners. So not all of those under permit. Most of them were not. Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma. I've gone all of those places. And while I was looking for those race runners, I did collect other animals. Yeah. That was back when I was younger. Yeah. Back hey, when I was your age. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, <clears throat> so what have been like, uh, your favorite type of snakes to study? Um, usually the smaller the snake, the better because I can do the uh, reproductive anatomy without having a problem uh, <clears throat> based on size. Um, which ones have I done a lot on? Uh, in, in this uh, book, let me mention this other book. If you go into another reproductive biology and phylogeny book, the title is Reproductive Phylogeny and Biology of Snakes. And in that book, I have a chapter. And the title of that chapter is Male, Your Genital Ducts and Cloacal Anatomy. And in that chapter, I examined 35 snakes. It is a... Uh, unique study in and of itself. I did it with my now deceased colleague, Dave Seaver. Now, if you mentioned Dave Seaver in Ohio, or look up Dave Seaver in Ohio, you get a lot of hits. I can tell you right now. Anyway, in that book, I, I examined uh, mostly colubrids, but not all. I did some uh, Protolids and, uh, but mostly, mostly clues. Okay. Uh, favorite snake, maybe a uh, rat snake. 
Can't go wrong with the rat snake. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but I, uh, in that chapter in that book, I just mentioned that one of the emphasis was on uh, we'll call it a western rat snake. Burbrink would like that western rat snake. Yeah. Uh, but on but but in the, in that chapter, I every, every small, mostly small. I did water snakes too. Yeah. Uh, I'm, good I'm old ro- uh, good old rodeo. Probably hands probably stank by the end of the day working with those things. Yeah, bitten and stunk. Right. Uh, so I'm I'm still working. I got a colleague who was at the Carnegie, who uh, I will work with next year on water snakes. Yeah. So I'm not water snakes yet. Uh, a very fascinating study there. Yeah. So I. Most of my guilds and work, and that keeps me busy, keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Keeps me out of the woods um, to go and enjoy the uh, uh, herping. I mean, I've done everything from uh, scuba diving for Ozark Hellbenders to uh, trapping for alligator snapping turtles to going into mine shafts after western slimy salamanders. Did that for 17 years. You might look up my name and Sir David Attenborough. Yeah, I think you've probably heard of him. Yeah, I have. Uh, <laughs> Who hasn't? It's more it's a better question. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, well, a neighbor of mine hadn't heard of him the other day. I just happened to know. But anyway, uh, you'll find maybe a picture with me with Sir David. Uh, and uh, you might also see uh, some pictures of me with Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. So okay, there's there there are <clears throat> the the internet is great. I had a great website at one time when I was at ASU. Uh, as soon as I left, three, six months later, they crashed it. <laughs> I mean, he's retired. Why do we need his his website here? Oh. Yeah. I've never developed another website. No need. Retired. Go. Uh, but anyway, I did some work uh, with both of those individuals. Uh, had a chance to do some work with uh, Pixar also, but that didn't. It fell through um, when the movie Newt was canceled by Pixar. Oh, I heard of that. Yeah, yeah. I was. I was. I was one of the. Uh, um, consultant, uh, not not causing it to be canceled, but uh, I, di- I did work with them and uh, have pictures of being in the field with uh, a number of those individuals. So I've had a, a varied uh, uh, experience academically and and have had the opportunity to be with some noted, famous Sir David people. Uh, yeah, micro, micro is fairly famous too, I guess. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so I I can't complain about what I've uh, done, and uh, I've enjoyed. Uh, I've enjoyed presenting all this to you today. I certainly enjoyed listening to it. So, uh, thanks for coming on the show. 
yeah and let me know if you need any additional info but you can check me out i mean obviously you have or plan to online and uh pick up any additional info but i think i've laid out a lot of what i'm doing now for you with respect to reproductive biology perks so there you go okay uh and i and i enjoy doing this by the way i'm glad to hear i'm glad to hear i wasn't uh pestering you with my questions Anything else? Uh, no, that's about it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Hey, uh, appreciate. It. Get back with me if you need any additional info. I will. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. All right. Bye bye.